Now, just in case you thought no one could possibly be that ignorant in real life, <clears throat> I want to share with you this headline that a friend of mine sent me this week uh, from Thursday, who had no idea that we were showing this video before the message. I rewrote the beginning of my introduction just for this. This is the headline of the article that they sent me. Dozens of Colorado drivers got stuck after blindly following Google Maps into a mud pit. Now, to clarify, this is not from The Onion. This is not from a fake, you know, funny satire news site. This was a real story that actually happened. Uh, from the article, it wasn't until cars started getting into a mud pit that one of the people that, they, uh, that, they were in, uh, that was interviewed by ABC, they thought, oh, this was a bad decision. A hundred cars had taken the detour and ended up in the muddy, empty field. A couple cars in the front of the line got stuck in the mud. The road was tight and only allowed passage of one car at a time, so all the other cars got stuck behind the leaders of the pack. And here's what one person said when they were interviewed, one driver. The question is, why did Google send us out there to begin with? Right. Is, is that actually the question, though? Like, that's, if I were to have a conversation with that person, I would ask them that. Like, is that really the thing hear about, like, this is the lesson, is this really the lesson we've learned in this situation? Like, did Google make you turn down a private dirt road? And, and did Google make you follow those cars? And did Google make you think, like, in your Prius, oh, I've got this, when you saw the muddy pits in the middle of the field that you were driving through? Yes, Google, why did Google do this to us? It's kind of one of those interesting type of responses. I love the first line to the article. The first line was this. Nearly 100 Colorado drivers this week followed a digital Pied Piper into an empty field where they all got stuck. It's very interesting to me what we're willing to put our trust and our faith in in this life uh, that we kind of do just automatically. We just kind of assume that if we do this thing, it's going to work out exactly the way that we want to. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I took our 15-year anniversary trip to New York City. We'd never done th Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All of that goes to Renee. Uh, <laughs> great job, honey. <laughs> uh, we've known each other for what, 19 years? I mean, she, has, she is a strong woman. Uh, let, me just, let me just tell you that, that's right. And so we, hey, easy. I, I'm just kidding, I, I'm just kidding. So, so we went to New York City, and, and it was our first trip up there, so we got a lot of great recommendations of things we should do. But one of the things that, that helped us out the most is I had a friend of mine tell us to download this app called City Mapper. And they basically have taken large cities across the world and they've mapped out like all of the transportation options that you can take. So subway, walking, uh, Uber, Lyft, all those kinds of things. Even if you used a teleporter, they have that there as well, how long it would take you, which I really appreciated that too. Uh, but it would tell you what, what you know, subway entrance to go down in, what trains to take and where, where to get you. And so I've been to huge cities foreign, in foreign countries before, but I've never been to New York City and know it would be a little bit of a different animal the way that we're going to be traveling. And so I downloaded this. I've read a lot of reviews. If you guys have known me for very long, you know that I've, I've told you before, I, I read reviews and, and I want to know all about the thing before I put my, my trust into it. So I did this and we trusted this implicitly. implicitly. It made me look amazing in front of my wife. And so that worked out really well uh, on our anniversary trip. I looked like the man, and so that was cool. Uh, but it all worked out fantastically, and, and this, this, this is great. There are a whole lot of other things, though, that I don't really consciously put my trust in, but I definitely expect to work the way that I want it to. Like this morning, I got in my car, 
By the way, a mouse died in my car sometime this past week. Isn't that gross? It stunk. I hope I don't stink. And so if that happens and you walk past me, it's the mouse's fault, not mine. I took a shower this morning. Um, anyway, uh, that's, that's just an aside there. So I, I got into my car. I turned my key. I expected my car to work. Right? I mean, I, I, and I expected, like, when I got on the road that I would get on 64, that there was no tree down blocking my way, that I wouldn't have to take an alternate route. I expect that, like, when I pull up to my favorite restaurant, that it's going to be open, they're going to have my favorite meal. Uh, I never expect, for example, to pull in to Chick-fil-A and it be not open and then realize that it's a Sunday, you know, that, those kinds of things that happen right there. I, there are just certain things that I expect to be the case. I just assume, like, it's going to be this way all the time in my life. And yet, that doesn't always work that way. Like, sometimes Google sends you into a mud pit. And it's our visceral reaction to those kinds of things that happen in our life that's very telling about what we were actually putting our trust and faith and hope in all along. Like those kinds of things, like how we react when things don't really go according to the way we assume they should go, that really let us know what we've actually been placing our faith and our trust in. In this series on the letter of Romans in the New Testament of the Bible, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5 this morning, if you want to turn uh, for that a little bit later on in the message. But the Apostle Paul puts a lot of emphasis on how our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to change and impact our philosophy on life and how that practically impacts how we live our everyday existence. And for most of us, Um, If we were asked if we made a conscious decision whether or not to put our faith in God through Jesus, most of us would say, yes, we made that choice. Like, whether it's yes or no, or even if I'm thinking about it right now and I'm not quite sure, most of us would own that decision-making process. We would say we'd make that. Now, now if we're honest, we would say there have been plenty of people, there are plenty plenty of circumstances, events, and situations in our lives that have influenced that decision making process, like maybe it's not solely our decision that we made just on our own in a vacuum, but all of us may, if, you know, if we're responsible, we'll take ownership over our decision. But along the way, there are things that identify what our faith has really been impacted by all along. And so, for example, in the, in the letter to the Romans, for the Christians with a Jewish heritage in the church at Rome, and we talked about this conflict um, that they had last week, and so you can check that out if you want on the podcast. But, but their faith was intertwined with the Old Testament law so tightly that Paul is having to help them unwind their belief and their trust in the law because that was taking precedence in their faith over God. And for example, the pagan, uh, the Christians with the pagan backgrounds, all the Gentiles that are not Jews, their past and how they've related to God and their philosophy is so much further away, even from their fellow Christians that have a Jewish background, that they're having to relearn how they're supposed to relate to and think about what faith in God looks like. And so there's this foundation for inclusion that Paul is laying for the church to be unified on that we read about in chapters 3 through 5 of Romans, with Jesus as the cornerstone. But what Paul does is he explains how faith actually is supposed to work. And so I don't, I don't know how often you think about how you think about faith, but this is one of the things that Paul is very concerned with as he bu- builds this foundation of unity for these Christians that are coming from different backgrounds and experiences. How faith works. Which we all, we all know the answer to that, right? If somebody comes up to you and say, how does faith work? You, ha- you have an answer ready to go, I'm sure. Is that, is that true? Like, everybody's, everybody's ready with that, right? Like, 
when you want something really, really bad and you tell, you, tell God and he gives it to you, that's how faith works, right? Is that, why, why do you say that sarcastically? I don't, I don't understand. Isn't that one of the things that we think? Or when you really want to just feel morally superior, like that's, that's what faith is for, right? I don't, I don't understand why we're laughing. Or how about when you want an excuse for why you do what you do, you can say, well, God made me do it, right? How about that? Is that, is that how faith works? Or, or what about just you know, wanting to enjoy a more carefree existence? Like, oh, man, I punched my ticket to heaven. I'm good to go. Like, I can't wait for that. And I don't have to worry about anything else. Like, is that, is that how faith works? Okay. Maybe there's something that seems a little bit off about each of those explanations. And yet those are some of the major categories that we kind of naturally flow into when it comes to how we practically apply faith into our lives. And I'm not accusing anybody here, but I mean, we can observe that and see how the people around us think in some of those terms. But there are some biblical explanations, and Paul is coming here later in in chapter 5 uh, that lays some groundwork for this that we're going to connect with why Paul says what he does about how faith works, um, that gives some background and foundation for how we should think about it. For example, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The way we think about faith, especially in these terms, in this respect matters because faith extends so much farther when it rests on God's promises and not the things we assume ought to happen because we've placed our faith in God. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, is called the faith chapter and gives a lot of different examples of men and women who have placed their faith in God and the situations that they found themselves in that have not necessarily been all that ideal in their life and yet shows that faith is living and active in their life, that God is moving and leading them to exactly where he wants them to go. In fact, um, Paul uses Abraham as an example as well in Romans chapter 4. We're not going to read that this morning. Hopefully you can read through Romans uh, yourself. But check out this conclusion that is made about these faithful men and women in Hebrews chapter 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. One of the hardest things, at least in my opinion, about our journeys of faith this side of heaven is that it's so easy to get caught up in where we want to go that we often lose sight of where God wants to take us. There are a lot of detours, there are a lot of distractions, there are a lot of other things that we kind of put our faith and trust in. Maybe subconsciously, we're not really thinking about it, that guide us and direct us in paths that God doesn't necessarily want us to go down. And so there's a pair, you know, faith then, for example, isn't gifted to us by God to just give us what's good. It's also meant to carry us through when we can't see what's beyond the bad. There's almost a paradoxical relationship that we have with faith. On the one hand, it's very clear as you read through the Bible, for example, that the working out of our faith will provide for us the best life that we can have this side of heaven. I mean, that's God's promise for us. From, from the wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3, 
My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make, make your path straight. Which sounds amazing. I mean, everything's going to be great in your life if you have faith in God and follow him. Everything's going to work out perfectly, right? That's been all of our experiences? No? All right. Me either. It's also very clear as you read through the Bible that faith in God does not mean that everything will be perfect and that there are times that in the working out of our faith in this sin-broken world that we live in that our faith will conflict with some of the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in. And this is what Paul addresses in Romans chapters 3 through 5, and we're going to read his conclusion at the beginning of chapter 5, and this is what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So that's that first working out of faith in our life, and that's what it looks like. That sounds amazing. That's great. But he keeps going. Verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, to me, there's probably not very many more phrases more powerful at losing most people's interest as the phrase, it builds character. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, like, that's not the exciting thing that I'm looking forward to someone say about an experience. Oh, you should go do this. It builds character. One of my favorite comic strips, Calvin and Hobbes, anybody know it? If you don't, you need to go check it out sometime. Like, Google it on your phone right now uh, if you want to. You have my permission. It's that, it's that great. Uh, it's a regular trope between Calvin and his dad. Calvin will ask his dad, hey, we live in uh, you know, upstate Ohio, and why do we not have a snowblower? And his dad will look at him and say, because shoveling snow builds character. And Calvin's like, my dad's the worst, you know? And we kind of think it, it, it builds character. It's going to be good for you, so, so you should do it. I just know that I'm not rec regularly looking for character-building exercises in my life more so than the ones I already have. You know, so I, when I read this passage and I think, well, part of faith, you know, part of what it, what it does is it's going to take us through some character-building exercises. I'm thinking, really? Like, is that, is that really the thing that I need in this, in this life? And it makes sense for it to fall where it does in this list that pops off actually quite often in the New Testament, this whole uh, suffering and perseverance and character and hope, because you know if you're building character, you're going to have to endure suffering. Like, that's, that's just going to be part, part and parcel with it. Yeah, here's the thing. Here's why this matters and why it's included in faith. We know we can be better for it, and the reason this works spiritually is because faith that has not been tried lacks the trust necessary for hope. See, when Paul writes this, the word that he uses for character is not just character like we just automatically intrinsically have because we say we've believed in God. Um, this is character that has been tried, that, that it's been tested, that it's been proven. And this is not to say that all of the things that happen in your life that you don't like or don't want to happen, all the bad things have been God testing you, but that all of those moments are opportunities for us to learn more, to rely more on him than ourselves. And that leads to the kind of character that can trust in the hope that God promises us this side of heaven. 
and in the life to come. It has to be experienced for us to understand faith's priceless value and why nothing else comes close to being as important as that in our relationship with God. Choosing to rely on faith simply because we only want good things to happen all the time is meaningless in a world that is broken by our sin. It only goes but so far. So God graces us with faith that's not contingent upon a perfect life now, but that makes it worth trusting and sharing the hope of a perfect life then because of the love that he's poured out on our hearts through his Holy Spirit. Because it's that love that allows us to not be ashamed of placing faith in what we hope for and having assurance in things that we haven't seen yet. Faith that endures despite suffering gives us the kind of character necessary to experience a hope that we can share, that we can experience even this side of heaven. It levels the playing field because we're all in this together. Like for the church at Rome there, regardless of background, regardless of experience, we're all in this together and we share in the common need for a faith that works no matter what. And it helps us through those moments that seem to threaten to take our faith away. Earlier this week, I, didn't, I had a meeting at, uh, at 6 o'clock in Virginia Beach. And any of you that have traveled down that way know that the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel, and I had to go that way, Monitor Merrimack was, was even further, how horrible of a drive that that can be. <clears throat> There's just always going to be traffic there. Anybody, anybody with me, like you know you had that experience, you know how terrible that is. So I was smart, I thought. I left early, you know, to get there to my destination on time, uh, gave myself a, a good cushion. I was still 30 minutes late <laughs> to what I was headed to. And I don't know about you, but when I get in, in traffic, I'm... Um, I don't know. I don't know that I'm an impatient. Okay, maybe I'm an. Am I impatient? I'm impatient. I was trying to make myself better than I sound better than I actually am. Uh, so I won't do that. I I'm I don't like traffic. Traffic bothers me because my first reaction to traffic is somebody along the line ahead of me has done something dumb. And it's because of them I'm in this situation. So somebody did not accelerate properly onto an entrance ramp. Somebody is hanging out. You know the left lane is the passing lane, right? It's not the cruising lane. It's not the go 10 miles an hour under the speed limit lane. Do we know, like, do we know that? Okay. If you don't know that, it's, it's okay. No perfect people allowed. But there's an opportunity to repent. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, so, so somebody, somebody does that. Or somebody slammed on their brakes, you know, when they shouldn't have because they were following too closely or something like that. Now, every once in a while when I feel like, oh, that's right, <laughs> I love Jesus, and so I need to be um, better about that. Like, I'll think about, hey, maybe there's a fender bender. Maybe there's a wreck. Maybe somebody had an emergency or something like that, and so I'll pray, say a prayer for that, um, and I, I make myself feel better in, in that way. <laughs> but I'm still frustrated. And then you get up especially this situation makes me angry more than, than any others, but you get up to a certain point and then it's just gone. Like there's no, okay. So there, there's this thing called the phantom traffic jam. And that's what, like when you get through the tunnel, it just opens up, ah, you know, you know, you come up into the sun and like nobody's there anymore. It's like, how does that happen? All these horrible drivers. So I did a little bit of research on phantom, phantom traffic jams uh, this past week and, and how inevitable they are. They're always going to happen. When you have a certain volume of cars on a road, um, they're always going to happen, and it takes just a little bit for it. So, so when that happens, something, maybe somebody cut off in front of it, somebody had to slam on their brakes, and the next person comes, and they had to do that. It creates this chain reaction 
that just is a wave of traffic jam that keeps going until the number of cars is reduced or you get to a wider section of the road or whatever it may be. Um, it's just one of those things that's going to persist. It's going to happen. There's nothing, nothing we can do to get away from that. It's always going to be the case until, you know, all of our cars are driven by robots, which, you know, when Singularity comes and Terminator shows up, we know we're in trouble. Um, or we stay off the road and we don't go anywhere and we don't do anything. But that's not an option either, right? And so the reason I bring this up, what's that? Well, <laughs> it's a, well yeah, you could. The reason I bring this up is I want you to think about the course of your day and the people you run into. And when they do something crazy or they're just flat out rude and, and maybe the traffic jams that kind of get, that you get caught up in, in, in your life where something obviously hasn't gone really well for this person, and so they affect your day, and how that day affects somebody else down the road, and how it affects somebody else, and how there's that kind of this chain reaction thing that inevitably, even though we have faith in an all-knowing, perfect, all-powerful, loving God, we still live in a world that's broken by our sin, and there are going to be times when things don't go the way they want, we want them to. And part of having the right perspective about faith is that it helps us to understand that that's okay. Like, even when things don't go exactly the way we want, they, that we want them to, we know that God's promises are bigger than that. And that we can react in different ways because of the faith that we have through him. Because we know that this experience that we might need to endure, this pain that we're feeling because of someone else, or maybe even something that we did, that the kind of character that we build through faith gives us the hope that we need to move through that without it ruining everything in our lives in that moment. And so uh, my encouragement to you is kind of think about those things that have jammed you up in your life. Think about maybe the people that have been jammed up and think about the things that have happened in their life, you know, hurting people hurt people, you know, kind of thing. And think about how God has empowered you with the type of hope that we have that, like, those kinds of things don't have to wreck our day. They don't have to change who we are in Christ just because we're not getting what we want in the moment. Then, in fact, there's something bigger at work there, bigger at play, that God can work through us because the love that he's poured out on us through his Holy Spirit that and that can change not only how we experience that moment, but also how that other person that we're dealing with experience, experiences that moment as well. Faith in me and what I want is not faith in God until those things are aligned by our faith in God. And that happens in how we respond to things not going our way. In Romans chapter 5, Paul continues on and, and gives the foundation for faith that we have. And he says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul's point here in, in verse 7, because it's kind of a parenthetical statement that sounds weird. His point here is that, like, even for somebody who's righteous, who follows the law, who's like a... a a good person because they're supposed to be, and, and like even it's rare for somebody to you know to 
to go out of their way to die for them. And even for the person who's the best of the best, the, the good person who's like, it's not because they're good because they have to, but because they're a good, a good person. Like even, even those situations are rare where like you go out of your way to sacrifice yourself for them. And so think about, and Paul is setting up the context for thinking about how scandalous it is that Jesus, while we were still sinners, while we were the worst of the worst, he sacrifices himself for us. But that's the whole point, is that our faith working is assured by this fulfilled promise from God that at our, at our worst, he gave us his best. And so the way that we deal with those circumstances in life when things aren't going the way exactly that we'd like them to see, I mean, they, the perspective that we have shifts and has changed, it changes to not just in that moment, to a per, but to a perspective of, of eternity. The thing that gets us past these traffic jams of life that keeps us from that disregarding the path of God's best for our lives is when we respond in faith in those moments to where he has called us to be versus where we'd like to go. And so we get to seek to give God our best, whether it's during our best or during our worst. And because we're all made in God's image and we all have intrinsic value and worth because of that, we get to do the same for other people. Even when someone gives us their worst, the one whose life is characterized by faith through Jesus gives their best. It changes the course and trajectory of our lives and the lives of those around us. and allows us to experience and give hope to all people. Let me pray for us. God, um, how faith is meant to practically impact our lives is, is so valuable, so important. And we thank you for these words from Paul as he is instructing these Christians in uh, the early church in Rome. How they continue to still be meaningful and change how we see the world. There's so many things that seek to distract us, uh, that take us off course, and yet you, you are the constant in the midst of all of that. God, thank you for being the kind of God that we can put our tra- trust and faith in, that, that you provide the kind of hope that we need um, that far supersedes anything else that this world can offer. God, we praise you for that. We give you all the glory for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.